0: Welcome to the Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne at Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen. I'm also a national reporter for the Republic.
0: So, today we are talking healthcare. Again. when you turn on the cable news network or you're listening to serious radio on your drive-in, the news is probably dominated with things like the Mueller report and collusion and the latest Twitter spot that the president might be having with his Democratic foes. What you probably don't realize is the number one issue that affects your life and is probably going to be the defining issue in the 2020 election is healthcare. Let me just tell you exactly what my message is. The Republican Party will soon be known as the party of health care.
1: Five of the Democratic presidential candidates took part in a CNN town hall event last night. Some of the topics discussed included student loans and also health care. Here's some of what you missed. Medicare for all, single payer program. Well, I support Medicare for all.
0: You see it when you are picking up medicine for your kids or today, like me when I had to call my insurance company to try to figure out if my son's speech therapy was going to be covered.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's an issue that touches so many lives in so many different ways. This is going to stay on the menu all the way to 2020, and we're already on the clock for 2020. So, today we're joined by the Arizona Republic's healthcare reporter, Stephanie Innes. She's no stranger to the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for coming back.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yvonne and I hang out with the folks who have the luxury of being able to worry about the politics of this or the policy implications of these things from 30,000 feet. Your job's a little different. You're talking to people who are in the emergency room, who are holding a scalpel or facing hospital bills that can be pretty terrifying. What are people talking about these days?
2: People are talking about the cost of their insurance. Um, They're talking about whether or not they can qualify for insurance in the future. And a lot of people are talking about their personal plans and their high deductibles and how much that is costing them out of pocket. And I think a lot of people are just worried about what's going on politically and how that might affect them personally with their own health care. So we see the signs politically
0: that this is going to be a big issue. But what are you seeing every day on your beat as you cover this topic?
2: I think what I see day-to-day on my beat is a lot of uncertainty. Um, The hospitals don't know, moving forward, how they're going to be funded, Um, you know, whether they're, you know, Bernie Sanders wants to get rid of insurance companies altogether. So that would completely change the funding structure. Uh, And I think moving forward, people are concerned. Um, There's a lot of talk about pre-existing conditions, and that never happened before the Affordable Care Act passed. In fact, a lot of people weren't even very familiar with how the health care system worked. And I think a lot more people are familiar and they're more cognizant of what could go away and what it takes to run a health care system. Can you give us a sense of what is really at stake here? There's a lot at stake. Before the provisions of the Affordable Care Act took effect. There were 48 million people in the United States without health insurance. That went down to 28 million. It's now about 29 million. So about a million people have, again, lost insurance since 2016. And that's for a whole host of other reasons. But, you know, if if provisions or protections of the Affordable Care Act go away... Uh, a lot of people would lose their health coverage and be more vulnerable to the way things were before the Affordable Care Act, uh, which was that people would go bankrupt from their medical costs.
1: So let's talk about pre-existing conditions. How many people have pre-existing conditions in, say, Arizona, Metro Phoenix, for example?
2: Well, that's a good question. There have been a few studies on that, but Um, The best number I could come up with is it's really be about half the working age people in metropolitan Phoenix have a pre-existing condition. You know, and it it obviously also depends on how the insurance company defines pre-existing condition, Um, but usually there's one of two ways, and it's if you've received medical treatment for any condition or if you have a condition that a prudent person would would get treatment for but you know, prior to the ACA that could include pregnancy. So if you were pregnant and trying to get health coverage, you could be denied. Um, it could include obesity, asthma. Um, I've interviewed a number of people who haven't weren't able to get health insurance because of skin cancer. So um, you know it applies to a lot of people. So let's talk about these real specific kind of policy
0: issues, what could happen in the future, Ron?
1: Okay, so I think of it as being basically in three buckets. We have the laws that exist, that's with the Affordable Care Act right now. Then on the left, there's what we'll put under the umbrella of Medicare for All that's being pushed by a lot of Democrats these days. And then on the right, we have those who are advocating for doing away with the Affordable Care Act and replace it with something.
0: Can you give us a sense, Stephanie, briefly, what did the ACA do?
2: The ACA did a lot of things, so it would be too hard to list them all right now, but some of the, the bigger things and key issues are it allowed uh, people or young people to stay on their parents' insurance until they were 26. It forbade plans from charging you for preventive visits, so when you go for an annual checkup, you can't be charged for that. It took away the lifetime and annual caps on spending. It also, until this year, uh, mandated through federal penalties that everyone have health insurance, although that went away this year. And it um, did some other things that people aren't always aware of, like it finds hospitals that have higher than average hospital-acquired infections. And uh, the other key thing it did was allowed states to expand their Medicaid programs. Oh, and and one thing I forgot was the federal subsidies um, that it gave for people who buy their own insurance. You could qualify for federal subsidies to help you pay for that. Uh, So all those things were part of the ACA that people don't always realize they were part of the ACA because they're ingrained now in what we expect.
1: From a big picture perspective, give us an example of maybe the biggest positive effect of the Affordable Care Act so far. What, what's the biggest pro that somebody would argue for that?
2: Probably that more people got health coverage. Um, and as a result of that, you know, the ACA never intended to give people better care, it intended to give more people covered. Because when you have more people covered, it brings down costs for the entire system. So you had 20 million more people getting health coverage. And as a byproduct of that, you had 20 million more people who are understanding health care and deductibles and what it means to have health insurance.
1: Okay. So that's the best argument for it. What's the biggest con against the ACA? What's what's the biggest That critics can point to?
2: Well, the ACA was a compromise to begin with uh, because there were people who didn't want insurance part of the mix, but Obama decided to work with them. So, you know, one major con is that it didn't work out well for everybody. Um, So, if you're over 400 percent of the federal poverty level, for example, uh, and you live in Maricopa County, and say you're 50 years old and make 60 grand a year, you're going to have brutal uh, premiums and probably not a very great deductible. So your your costs are going to be a lot. I mean, there are, in some cases, you know, I ran some of the numbers. If you're in Yavapai County, a single woman who's 50, 55, and and making a salary of, say, fifty or $55,000, you could end up paying $1,000, up to $1,000 a month for your health care, which for somebody at that salary is a lot of money. Um, so those people aren't in a great position. And a lot of times those people are self-employed, and um, they can often opt not to get coverage at all.
0: So how has public perception of the ACA changed?
2: I think the election in 2018 made a huge difference for the ACA because people started talking about what could go away uh, when all these candidates were running for office and talking about health care. And people started thinking about their health coverage and understanding what the difference was pre-ACA, and they began to get protective of it.
0: So that was door number one. Door number two is Medicare for All. We're seeing a lot of talk about that uh, on, again, on cable news networks and campaign ads already.
2: What is it? That's a very good question because when you say Medicare for All, it can mean different things. Uh, you know, Medicare per se, including making that available to the entire population. Is one thing, but that involves private insurance companies. Um, what Bernie Sanders wants is a pure Medicare for all, which is a single-payer system that does not involve insurance companies and where there are no co-payments and I believe no deductibles in the current version of his legislation. So, you know, it can mean different things depending on who is introducing it, who's talking about it. Generally, it, it means a single payer for, uh, for health care. And typically, what the plan's being talked about now are universal coverage. So that means that everybody gets health care, which is what most developed countries have right now.
1: Okay, so that sounds great. I'm guessing it's not cheap. I've heard figures uh, on the order of $32 trillion or some such thing. What can you tell us about the cost of this?
2: Well, so the $32 trillion number is a bit of – it's 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 easy to misunderstand because when you say that, it's, it's because of cost shifting. So if the federal government is paying for health care, it's going to be paying a lot more money for health care because it's not paying – for most of healthcare care right now. It actually, believe it or not, the federal government is paying about 49% of our health care right now. But in most countries, um, you know, like Canada or Japan, it's paying more than 80%. So because the US would be paying more for healthcare as a single payer, obviously, it's going to be more expensive. I think too, there's some thought that it would be more expensive and that there would be a bad result from that. And I think that that um, that's up for debate. And also some of the costs are up for debate because in the 1960s when we established Medicare in the United States, it wasn't as expensive as people had predicted. So previously uninsured seniors got government-sponsored health insurance, but it didn't cause... The chaos that is being predicted now with this.
1: Okay, so it sounds like we're talking about universal coverage. Uh, we know that it's expensive, but involves a cost shift, as you put it. What what is to like about this? Is, is it simpler? Is it fairer? Is what would what would the consumer experience be in a system like that?
2: Well, I can tell you one thing: it's simpler, um, and I can tell you that from experience because I grew up in Canada where I went to the doctor. And now you give a card, you know, just indicating that you're a a resident. But when I was growing up, I just went to the doctor. And as a kid, I would even go without my parents if there was something wrong. There was no exchange of paperwork, because everybody gets coverage. So yeah, it's very much simpler for the consumer. And It's also simpler for the physician because they're not dealing with insurance paperwork as much. I mean, you know, the government is going to be the the single payer, so I don't know what kind of a system they would have. So I can't say that for certain, but I know from the consumer perspective, it's a lot simpler.
1: Okay, so simple is good. It sounds like, is there something that they won't like that Again, for the consumer going through that system, what is the thing that's going to drive them crazy?
2: Well, if you have the government as a single payer, they're going to set rates of how they reimburse hospitals and physicians, and that may be a, a lower rate than what they're getting right now. And some people argue that could hurt innovation. And, you know, while the U.S. has a lot of problems with its healthcare system, it's also one of the best healthcare care systems in the world if you can get the care. You know, it's very innovative um, and uh, there are a lot of good things about it. And people worry that that could be hurt if the government is the single payer on this. You know, one thing I want to add is that while the U.S. has some of the most innovative health care, the fact that it's not accessible to everybody means there are a lot of disparities, so we have here higher infant mortality and lower life expectancy than many other developed countries.
0: Door number three is the legal challenge to the Affordable Care Act, which best case scenario for some Republicans means the law gets essentially repealed through a court challenge.
2: Exactly. And uh, that's a very real possibility. So they've already had a federal judge rule in favor of overturning the ACA, although there wasn't an injunction. So that's why the ACA is still in effect. But a lot of people predict this could go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And depending on how the Supreme Court rules, there's a real possibility that this the ACA could actually really be overturned. And I'm not sure the general public is super aware of that, but it it could entirely go away as a result of, of a court ruling.
0: Can you give us a sense of what else you have your eye on heading into 2020?
2: Yes, there are many ways that... Uh, that people might not be aware of, that the Affordable Care Act is actually getting chipped away in states, including Arizona. So uh, here, we Governor Doug Ducey just signed into law um, allowing short-term health plans to be extended up to three years, and those plans don't have to cover pre-existing conditions. So people could actually unwittingly buy those plans and I don't know about you, but even as a health reporter, I don't always read all the fine print in my health insurance policies. And you could buy one of those plans and not realize that it doesn't cover things that you need, like prescription drugs or mental health coverage. So that's a concern, um, that that's going to upset the marketplace by giving people big bills that they can't afford. And then we expect that Governor Ducey is going to sign the Association Health health plan um, bill, which would allow like chambers of commerce to get together and sell health insurance to their members or small business associations to uh, sell insurance, which actually sounds like a good idea, and it might be a good idea. The only problem is it's siphoning off young, healthy people from the individual marketplace and you need that risk pool. I mean that's what insurance is. It's having healthy and people who might get sick or who are sick to balance it out. So if you have all the healthy people buying association plans then you're going to be left with the sick people in the individual marketplace.
0: Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on. I know we'll be talking more about this issue for now
2: and the next probably year and a half. Thank yes, you. Yes, thanks for having me. You can find me on Twitter at Stephanie Innes, and that's I N N E S.
0: Up until now, we wanted to talk about healthcare issues focused on people and personal impact, but you know us. We have to look at some of these things through the political lens, and we want to give you a sense of what this might mean for 2020.
1: Right. So for context, let's talk a little bit about how much money was spent on political advertising involving health care in the last cycle. In 2018, there was about $5 billion uh, spent on political advertising, making it the most expensive midterms in history. How did that break down, Yvonne, with Democrats and Republicans?
0: So Democrats outspent Republicans in state and federal races by like a 53 to 46% margin. And that's notable because in the 2010 midterms, those numbers were flipped, and there was a lot of campaigning and spending going on against the Affordable Care Act. Ads supporting Democratic candidates referenced health care 1 million times, and those ads account for about half of all the Democratic ads overall. So of those ads, many Democrats or outside groups claimed that Republicans wanted to go in and they wanted to get rid of health care for people with pre-existing conditions. By contrast, just 367,000 Republican ads mentioned health care. And instead, they tried to focus on things like taxes and employment and the healthy economy.
1: Okay. So we both think that there are some signs that health care is once again going to be on the uh, the political agenda in twenty twenty. What signs are you seeing about of this?
0: So we're going to have another Arizona Senate race again. Republican Martha McSally, who was appointed to uh, John McCain's old Senate seat, is going to face a pretty fierce election this cycle, and it looks as though she's probably going to face Mark Kelly. He's the retired astronaut. He's a Democrat. We've got 18 months before the election, and literally, there are signs on the freeways, billboards uh, that are attacking Mark Kelly for issues that include health care. And there is one Democratic sponsored sign that attacks McSally uh, on her pr- previous stances on uh, pre existing conditions.
1: You know, it just seems like if those aren't enough. Uh, signs of how really consuming this issue is going to be. We can't forget about that legal case. It's in the Fifth Circuit right now. That's a traditionally conservative district. So a ruling in favor of striking down the ACA is more than just a theoretical possibility. But then it will go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they are likely to uh, reach a decision on that case By June of 2020, which is just a few months before the presidential election, they will be dropping into the laps of America a really uh, big decision that could affect the future of the ACA and, you know, sort of uh, once again, add another political charge through the system on what to do about health care.
0: So for all the uh, news coverage that the Mueller report is getting, and it should be getting, uh, for all the news coverage of the tweets, the uh, latest um, kerfluffle, political kerfluffle of the day, there is a very big likelihood that this election will hinge on this issue. And we want to make covering health care a priority this election cycle. We want to hear your story about navigating the health care system. We want to get a sense really of how these laws or lack of coverage are affecting you. You can find us on Twitter. Our DMs are always open. You also can reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Well,
0: that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. This episode was edited and produced by Kayla White with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday.